calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hey, good people. This is Brad King. You are listening to the Downtown Riders Jam podcast. Today we have a great guest, Adam Petty, who is one of the three riders who was at the Etchings Fest, which is put on by the University of Indianapolis. Did that a few weeks ago, and we had a chance to catch up with him before his workshop. We had a really interesting conversation, and you'll get to that in just a couple minutes. Um, and it resolved, it sort of organically came out of this thing that has been percolating in my head for a while, which is creating spaces for writers and creative people to gather um, and explore things. And it's, it, it is increasingly difficult to do that in this day and age. So when I was younger, 25 years ago, starting out, the idea was as a writer, you could, if you were going to write books that you could get a book deal, um, a two or three book deal. If you would find an agent and they would shepherd you through those early processes as you sort of wrote your terrible first book and built your audience and things of that nature. Um, and eventually by your third book, you would, that was sort of the time when you were supposed to sort of make or break. And you could do things like work in the magazine field. And it was, I freelanced for a long time. I worked at Wired. Like I always had jobs. I never worried that there was going to be a place where I could develop my talent. And so those places have gone away in the modern world. There is this gap in between sort of starting out and making it as a professional in some sort of middle-class creative way. And we, he and I began talking about sort of the, the profound influences that we had. And we ended up in this weird science fiction discussion, which is all about, you know, we both sort of read the same Asimov and, and that kind of thing growing up. And, and we began reflecting on the idea that like, that was one of the safe places for boys at that time to really explore deep, meaningful questions without it being weird. Like you could talk about race and what it meant to be alive and class and all of those kinds of things because it was aliens, right? Like that was why Star Trek was so important. Um, 
you know, at the time, because it was this TV show that presented a world in which, um, a quality, at least as it was measured and on that show was, um, not something that was weird. It was the norm, right. And science fiction was that way as well. And so that, I have been thinking a lot recently about how do we create these spaces for creative people today um, where they are valued and where they can find other people and they can find other people like them, um, even if they're different, right? So even if it's writers hanging out with painters and filmmakers, all of the creative class is sort of in this same oh my God, what the hell are we going to do? Where are we going to make money? How are we going to have a career without having to sit in an office? And so this idea has been percolating with me for some time. And it's a large part of what we're trying to do at the Geeky Press, which is our little writing collective in Indianapolis, but also what has increasingly started coming up in these conversations with people is like, how do you survive and be creative? So uh, that discussion is going to come up in just a few minutes. But before we get to that, uh, there's the business at hand, which is the Geeky Press and what it is that we're doing. So for those of you that have been listening to the 25 episodes or so that we have, you know that we sort of evolved over the last few years. And we are a writing collective in Indianapolis, but we also do some other things external to Indianapolis. So in the region, if you happen to be in the area, we do things like host readings and uh, for, for people of all ages or of all experience levels. So not just professional writers, but also people who are starting out. Um, we have a big fan fiction reading coming up, which is right before the National Novel Writing Month kicks off. So all of us at the Geeky Press, the, the four other partners and me, will be dressed up as our favorite Star Trek characters and we will have people who have written fan fiction come in and read. We'll be curated to make sure you don't get any of the weird shit that goes on, like no slack fiction and things like that. But um, we really want to celebrate that as we go into National Novel Writing Month. We just published Bad Jobs and Bullshit, which was an essay book. Well, it's essays, fiction, uh, poetry about people's experiences with bad job and bad jobs and or bullshit. Um, we had about 75 people from around the world submit to that. We have about 24 essays in that. It was our first foray into publishing. I'm currently working on a project called Faith Fully, which is a letter writing um, book. So once a month, I put out a prompt about faith, um, and people write letters to me. Those letters are then posted to thegeekypress.com. And at the end of the year, the best letters, the letters that sort of best exemplify the sort of narratives of how we navigate faith in the world, will be published as a book called Faith Fully. Now, when I say faith, I mean people that are devout as well as people like me who have, um, who are rationalists, who have, don't believe in God. So it's really an interesting um, project because the letters are addressed to me. So they're not arguments to other people. You're not responding to other people. The prompts ask you to tell me in a letter why you feel the way you do. Um, so we've explored a variety of topics. Um, and then we have another book that we're getting ready to do. Uh, and both Faithfully and Dear America will be open to anybody from around the world. So these are the kinds of things that we um, are beginning to explore. And we publish them using on-demand technology. So we lay everything out. We pay for the design. Um, and then it's published through Lulu. And everybody who's in the books split royalties equally. So in the 
bad jobs and bullshit, I think 94% of the royalties are going to the writers. Um, we took a, a cut because we edited it and put it together. Um, and we'll do the same thing with the rest of our books is that everybody who contributes is an owner and makes money on the project. So to, again, thinking about those creative spaces and the ways in which we can create and support those things for each other. So all of that is to say, you can go to the geekypress.com and read about the projects that we're doing. You can see the events that we're going to. We have a calendar of both local and national things that are happening. So if you happen to be a writer in another city, we're also talking about conferences and things that, that happen all over the country. Um, and that really is the genesis and, and, and a germ and a through line that happens with my conversation with Adam which took place in the basement of Metonymy Media during the Etchings Fest uh, that happened a few weeks ago. He's a fascinating guy. He's a writer um, and a stay-at-home dad who also um, homeschools his kids. And so finding ways to create and bring his creativity into that also became this really interesting discussion. So enough of the introduction. Now, here's Adam. So um, we're at Metonymy Media during uh, Etchings Fest, um, and we're with Adam, and you just ran the fiction workshop. Yes. So, and you're from here. You're the only person here that's yes. from Indiana. I, I, I live here in Indianapolis. And what do you what do? You do? Uh, I am a dad. I have, um, I have two young daughters. They're three and one. Oh, um, that's amazing. And... and uh, ama- amazing is one of many words yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, so I stay at home with them, and you know we go to library story time, and I I make them lunch, and we play at the park, and um, yeah, it's it's a full time job. Yeah. 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 But really, like, yeah, and having daughters must be the best. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's um, it's kind of a new experience for me because I um, I grew up. Um, I have one younger brother. Um, so I never really grew up around that, around that that kind of like young feminine energy yeah you know, it, it's something that's um that's new for me and it's been it's been a lot of fun yeah to kind of uh see and especially with a three-year-old three and a half year old um we're just now starting to see her personality and kind of her sense of humor yeah. and weird way of telling stories so it's yeah it's a lot of fun i have uh we're not religious so but you would call it a goddaughter and a godson yeah and uh the the dot like Aslan is like I've known her since I've known them both since they were born and it's just I love Aiden he's a dude like I get it like I sort of understood that but being around her was just I mean she wrapped me around her little finger yeah the first moment I saw her like I yeah. sort of understood Aiden he did theater and art and all that kind of stuff yeah. and I get yeah. that but like yeah. she was just like I'm like I don't understand this at all like this is amazing yeah yeah <laughs> and terrifying and like you're gonna grow into a thing I don't understand yes. yeah it's um <laughs> oh I, I actually find it difficult to I mean I, I mean I know that you know come teenagers that'll have kind of have its present its own challenges but to be honest like I find it hard to think much further than like a week today, in the future, you know. Um, <laughs> well, they're changing so much at this age. Are. Like yeah, every yeah. day is a it's new just, day. Yeah, it's like the it's like you know they're it's like one of those time lapse photography yeah. things on National Geographic, yeah. where like you know a few seconds passed and you know 
you know, they're sprouting wings yeah. and flying. I mean, up until they're five, they are just sponges. And yeah. so, like, oh, yeah. everything, like, fundamentally changes yeah. the, who they are and what they do. No, um, my, the, the three-year-old, she's been, um, she's been really interested into this. Um, she watches, you know, she watches cartoons and stuff on YouTube. And she's been really into this, this British TV show. Um, uh, and it's, it's, it's not posh British, it's Cockney British. Um, and, and it's funny and it's silly and everything, but she'll start talking to me in these Cockney, Cockney British slangs, um, which is just, I mean, it's just the funniest thing in the right. world, you know? I mean, what's funnier than, you know, than a three-year-old girl talking like, you know, like she's an Oliver Twist or something. Right. Yeah. Uh, who doesn't, like, doing it, I'm guessing, sincerely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. well, this is just... This I just haven't met somebody like this yet, but this yeah. is clearly what I should this be doing. This is clearly what I should be doing. Yeah, this is how I should address my father in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, are you originally from Indiana? Uh, I yeah, I was. Um, I was born in Chicago. My my family was living there. My dad was in school at the time at the Moody Bible Institute, and then I grew up kind of peripatetically, you know, around Indiana. We moved um, quite a bit when I was a kid. Lived in half a dozen different places, and then. We settled around one time I was 12 or 13 in a, a town called Warsaw, which is a couple hours um, north. Of Here in Indiana, Warsaw, in Indiana. Indiana. It's a couple hours north of Indiana. What did your dad do? Uh, he's, he's done a lot, a lot of different things. Um, he, was a, um, he was a pastor of a church for a while. He's, he's worked in a rake factory for a while. Um, but uh, for, for a long time, he's worked as a kind of like a caseworker for um, – uh, people with uh, mental challenges, and there's um there there are several companies in our town that um kind of specialize in that field, and he's done I mean he's done a lot of different um held a lot of different positions mm-hmm. in that field, but he's done that um I'd say off and on for about twenty five years. So service like yeah service yeah. to people service to people um, minus the rake factory yeah precisely <laughs> yeah um, like uh, um, you know getting people to doctor's appointments yeah. um, helping them live more independently you know stuff like that yeah, yeah. and what did your mom do uh, she stayed home with us um, she oh she she's held um, jobs off and on just to kind of uh, you know bolster the income yeah my mom was the same way like yeah. she went to work when she had to yeah but yeah. she would much rather have worked at home yes and well and i mean working at home with me and my brother was definitely a um uh i mean it, it was a real job because like um we yeah. were homeschooled um okay virtually the whole way so through. she was working at home and teaching yeah, at home yeah because, <laughs> so you yeah, had two so, jobs at the house yeah she had, like you know <laughs> she, she she wore all the hats um around the house so yeah she was very involved um were you homeschooled all through high school uh i was homeschooled all the way through i was well except for i was in public schools for third and fourth grade yeah i was I, um i was in public schools for, for those years like um when i got to third grade i want i asked to be in public school and so i went on um, and enjoyed it and then right after that year ended we moved to a different town and i started in a in a public school in that different town and i have no memory of saying this but <laughs> apparently like after you know fourth grade ended i told my parents i want to be homeschooled again i honestly have no memory of um saying that but that, that was that was my preference. That's the apocryphal story that yes. why you yeah. were homeschooled yeah. is you yeah. ask for it. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, uh, um, yeah. Then I was homeschooled all the way all the way through. How, was it a, a religious decision, or did they just want to teach you at home? Um, the let me think. Well, to be to be homeschooled in that time and place, you know, rural Indiana, in you know, in the late eighties and in in the nineties. Um, yeah, I mean, like homeschooling was a, was a very religious um, subculture. 
um, they were they were virtually synonymous. And um, there were, I mean, you know, with within that, there are lots of different ver- varieties of, of religious style. Mm-hmm. I the um, I mean, I definitely knew. Uh, Was that your parents' motivating factor, or did I, they just trust their your education to them? Uh, I would, you know, the. I need to ask my parents more thoroughly about like why that is. It was just, uh, um, uh, I was. It was never. It was, it was an assumed thing for me. It yeah. was Just kind of uh, how I grew up. Um, assumed meaning you that you'd be homeschooled. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, re- religious motivations were definitely a factor. Also, like wanting to be just kind of in the nitty gritty of our education mm-hmm. and everything. Um, it's interesting because today I used to teach high school, middle school, yeah. um, and homeschooling really in the last 15, 15, 20 years has expanded. As you were oh, saying, yeah. like it is now a thing that is not synonymous with religion, Yeah, but that sort of still persists. That was yeah. the only reason I asked. Yeah. Like, it and, was, um, well, actually, um, uh, the state of Indiana was kind of a pioneer in home education. Um, the state of Indiana is hardly a pioneer in hardly anything. Um, but in that respect, it is. I mean, uh, it was... Um, like I, I, I knew a few families uh, in Michigan, which is just right nearby. But um, apparently, like uh, homeschooling, like back then when I was a kid, was much more difficult to do in other. It states. was, yeah. Um, but in Indiana, it was, it was fairly easy to do um, for. Um, I mean, for more reasons. I mean, when Evan Bayh was governor uh, back then, he did um, like entrust a lot of power to homeschooling yeah. families. Like, like he made it fairly easy for them. And were uh, to you to make that choice? Writing, reading, like, is that what oh, you yeah. gravitated to? Like, yeah, I, um, I, uh, I think I wanted to be a writer since the time I was 11 years old and read The Lord of the Rings. Really? Uh, yeah, that was, um, I mean, like, once, once I read those books, I was writing my own, um, fantasy books with, uh, elaborate maps and everything. So that was, yeah, that, that, that's one thing I wanted to do since I was, you know. Do you play Dungeons and Dragons too? I, I, a, a little bit. Um, I, um, I was, uh, I had some friends who were into D and D, and I um, actually uh, on a couple Me of occasions, <laughs> I, I would hang out with them, and I would actually be the dungeon master. Yes. Like I would lead them on adventures, even though I didn't have a very good understanding of how DMing worked. Yeah. Like, like um, I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't, I wasn't rolling dice per se, but I was saying you're in a corridor, you uh, you hear a, a, a creaking groan from down um, from uh, down the hall. And uh, and my friends would be really into it, um, so that even if I didn't understand like all the the mechanics and l- the logistics of D and P of D and D, I understood the storytelling, yeah. and that and that came very naturally um, to me. So I wrote a book about how Dungeons and Dragons shaped modern computer culture, and so we talked to a lot of the. We, I mean, we talked to Gygax and Arneson who made D and D, and lots of the folks who made the early computer games that were yeah. based on that stuff. Yeah. And it's funny that you say everybody that played D and D that I played with, we didn't roll dice. It was a storytelling yeah, game precisely. for which it is dice, a narrative medium. Yeah. Yes. And so there's two people, two kinds of people that play it. There's the dice people mm-hmm. who have all the books. Yeah. And then there's the story people who are like, you're going to die. If you play the game badly, you're going to live if you play it well. Yeah. And we're going to have a story. Yes. And to the extent I need to roll this die, I will. Yes. But for the most part, 
sometimes I'm rolling it and I already know what's going to happen. Yeah. I don't really give a shit what that says. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a formality just to kind of move them through the next step. So yeah. w- what attracted you to fantasy? I was a science fiction guy. I hated fantasy. Like, I read Piers Anthony and I just, I, I was sci-fi. Like, like to be honest, I, um, I was sci-fi as well. Like really? The, um, so Lord of the Rings kicked you off and then you went to yeah, the... Yeah, like, the, <laughs> I know, the, this is kind of... This is a pretty large topic, but I uh, I came to learn pretty quickly that um, like the fantasy genre is fairly narrow. Well, 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 it's not narrow, but like the fun of fantasy is like going into a world and playing around with it on your own terms. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's what made D and D fun because you could um, you could kind of have um, have the, have these monsters and stuff, and then you could go, sort of goof around with them, yeah. and you can sort of try on those costumes. It's the ultimate god mode. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, so that like, um, like after reading Lord of the Rings, I would read some other fancy novels, but it never, it was never quite as much fun as like pretending to be an orc or an elf on my own, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so, so that like, like after reading Lord of the Rings, I got pretty heavily, um, into science fiction, like a lot of golden age science fiction, um, Isaac Asimov, yeah, yeah. Clark. Oh my God. Asimov is, stuff. yeah. I have his, his, the books of his introductions from his magazine. Those, those are great. Amazing. Yeah. Those are fantastic. They're just amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, you're my new favorite person. Like nobody right. ever knows who those are. Oh, right? Yeah, like, they're, um, they're collected in, um, like I had that mass market paperback. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like there's just. Um, From astounding and Asimov's, mm-hmm. like yeah, yeah, and um, <laughs> one because like those were re- those were really interesting, but also they were really informative. Yes, because they just um, they just introduced me to like a whole bunch of different writers that I wouldn't have been yeah. um, aware of. Uh, also, like other you know golden age figures like like. You know Robert Silverberg, but also like um like new wave writers from the seventies, like um like Norman Spinrad yeah. or Samuel Delaney or um yeah like yeah like those books are just like a really good um introduction to just, yeah. just the history. So like the Foundation yeah. trilogy, you oh, yeah. clearly yeah. Yeah. love. I, I read the Foundation trilogy. Yeah. I read the robot novels. I even um, read the other three, like not in the trilogy. Oh, really? Yeah, I have the I whole foundation. The first three. Um, because uh, the last one was written by somebody else. It was after he died. Oh yeah. Um, and the other three are okay. Yeah. But what I find so amazing about the books and why I loved science fiction, particularly Asimov's, that hard science fiction, yeah, yeah. outside of the fact that I loved science. And so I felt like I was being introduced into a whole world yeah. of science yeah. in, a, in a meaningful way that yeah. I could sort of... Um, I also... Uh, I love that they've never been able to make it into a movie. Yeah. Right? Like that, like how do you tell a thousand year story? Yeah. Like it's, that book is bigger than film could ever yeah, do. It's, I mean, it's like, it's a story that could really only exist as a book. You yeah. Know? You know, it's, it, 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 it takes advantage of the, of the medium of like words on paper yeah. and like, you know, bound through volumes. I mean, yeah. I mean, just. Um, yeah, I mean, you couldn't even make that into a TV series. Was, really. The only thing it could be would be like a like if it was battle like the reimagined Battlestar Galactica. Like if it was like we're going to make forty eight yeah. episodes. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, but that's it, yeah. right? Like you couldn't do a movie trilogy. No, you you really couldn't. And I then mean, they'd have the prequel of like who was Harry Seldon? Yeah. Like I don't fuck. That's not the point. No, no. You're missing the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it's been years since I've read that stuff. But um, I, and um, but yeah, like the. Uh, like like reading that stuff and also reading um like I love Arthur C. Clarke as well the um the I mean the novelization of um two th- of two thousand one was great the Ra- the the Rama books uh-huh. do you remember reading yeah those? I don't but I know I those know what they are really yeah cool and then um although I gotta say I think my favorite novel from that era has got to be Childhood's End 
um, the Arthur C. Clarke yeah. novel. That's it's just so. Um, and one thing that that I really liked about science fiction and what I liked that Clark did with it is that he made it into this kind of kind of like um, laboratory for philosophical speculation, you know, and just sort of like asking, just using these stuff like, you know, technology and space travel to ask these really like fundamental questions like what it means to be human and like, you know, if humans change into something else, are they still human? Right. You know, so, yeah, I love that stuff. That that was that was my crucible. I'm um, introducing my wife to Babylon 5 okay. right now. So she's, I, never got, I never got into that. Okay, so let me just tell you. You have to watch the first 10 episodes, and they're slow. Okay. But here's why it's great. What you just said is every, uh, Straczynski is just the best, like, right? Like, J. Michael Straczynski is the best. Like, he's sort of hit and miss, but, like, I'm okay with that because he yeah, takes big that. fucking swings, yeah, right? Yeah, I don't mind that. Yeah. And so it is a book. It is, it is a TV show that was designed like a book. So it's four. Like, they plan four seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that happens has repercussions throughout the whole thing. And okay. not... Like, oh, we should do something with that. Like, it is planned. Yeah. So the acting is a little stale. It's, you know, it's not always the greatest writing because he wrote every episode. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because he wrote, like, he he, he wow. knew what it was. Okay. And so he wrote it like a book that is shot like a TV show. Okay, yeah. You know, like, Flounder from Animal House is in it. Like, yeah. Jeff Conaway from Taxi and Grease is in it. Like they, Okay. So it's like, the acting is okay. Yeah. The first ten episodes just sets up the whole... Literally nothing happens. It just sets the world. It okay. is like the first 30 pages of a book. Yeah. So if you just watch those beginning, you're like, nothing's happening. Yeah. But you wouldn't put a book down because you're like, well, the plot hasn't started on page two. Yeah. But we're so used to TV being, Yeah. it happens Although, though. I actually kind of think that's changing a little bit. I, um, I think with kind of the media, the media landscape right now, I think people would be a little bit more... Um, or a little bit more willing to give a TV show time to build. This would be on Netflix today. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it would be. And so go back and just. My wife is a ballet dancer who is not into science fiction at all. Yeah, we're now on season three. We're almost through three. She's watching it while I'm here. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm like I already know what happened. So yeah. like just keep going, yeah, keep going. Like I don't need to watch all hundred episodes. Notes later. Um, but it, it, it is that same thing. It is built around philosophy. So mm-hmm. there are two questions. Um, that are that are in philosophy. Who are you, and why are you here? Mm-hmm. And they come out of schools of philosophical thought. The whole show was written around answering those two questions. Okay, that's why it's so amazing because okay, you yeah. watch this thing, and it's very like they are very explicit. This is what's happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love how science fiction can can allow you to be that explicit. Like if you try to do this, do that stuff in more conventional reels, and you just sort of. I mean, it, it, it sounds kind of like, you know, that guy at the bar who won't shut up about, like, a philosophy book that he read. Right. But, like... Um, but The Matrix, you watch. Yeah, totally. <laughs> the Matrix, because you're asking those questions and you've got, like, you know, cool right. jackets. And but you don't really know why. Yeah. Like, yeah. What, like there is no spoon. Yeah. Like, people say that and you're like, you know, that's really fucking profound. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just a thing. Yeah, it's it's profound, but it's also cool. Yeah. The, right. It's, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, that was... Yeah, I mean, science fiction was really, like, the, the crucible for my... Uh, sensibility Early. as a reader and a writer. I mean, it's it's. I, I read a lot less of it, and I don't write it um, anymore. But yeah, that's definitely where I started. It's me too. Like yeah. all growing up, I have I have notebooks of all the like I wrote like fifty and sixty page stories when yeah. I was in high school, and they were all science fiction. Yeah, I read almost no science fiction now. Yeah. I write no science fiction. I still go see Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Which is ish. You know, it's, yeah. It's, not really science fiction. Yeah. Um, it, it's space it's fantasy. Yeah, yeah. Like with yeah. a spaceship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but it was it was the it was the thing that inspired me as yeah, a thirteen year old boy. And because it just kind of, I mean, like we were talking about, it it gives you the space in which to like imagine and create new worlds. It gives you this like terminology and blueprint for you know creating your own you know imaginative worlds. Like you know, yeah. And I think as a and I don't and I can't speak for girls, but as a boy, there weren't spaces growing up where we could where I could be emotional where I could ask deep questions like I was an athlete like we played we knocked each other down and like science fiction was this place that I could go into and like it was a deep meaningful spiritual yeah. world where it felt okay for me to ask like yeah. why am I here yeah yeah <laughs> yeah totally yeah huh. uh, so where do you go to college like you finish oh, homeschool yeah, so like I, 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 I know we got stuck in Babylon like after Babylon 5 where did you I'm go I'm happy to stay stuck <laughs> in 90s science fiction um, but no I um uh, so I finished high school. Um, I I went to uh, Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, which is a um, uh, it's a Christian institution. Uh, the um, the Christian Reformed Church is what it's called, which is a kind of like a um, a uh, an American continuation of like you know the Dutch Calvinist mm-hmm. Church, like back in um, back in the 16th century. Um, uh, uh, it, uh, it, it was a, it was a good school. I had a great time there. Um, the um, uh, uh, Calvin Calvinism and that brand of Calvinism is very um, cerebral and very um, attentive to uh, culture and um, just kind of the you know, the ideas of like you know being in the world and you know and uh, and affecting it. So um, I had a great time there. What I were you to, studying? Uh, I was an English major. Uh huh. Yeah, and um and I, I studied um uh, languages um like a pretty closely and um i uh, i studied german for a while i studied spanish for a while so lord of the rings stays with you this idea yeah. of language yeah i and mean like you know uh, if yeah i mean it's the i mean if you're gonna you know sit down and write the orcish you know out al- um alphabet on the back of your notebook that kind of gives you uh, a, a toolbox for you know conjugating yeah. you know, verbs and all these but also things. a desire yeah yeah right like to i know to kind of enter into these conversations and kind of have um and hear your voice and kind of like watch your voice change as it relates like to these other ideas and it speaks in these other terms. yeah yeah so i studied german for four years in high school so i speak you know none um but it is as i've gotten older and sort of I speak a little bit, you know, like some of it's thick and I, I go to Germany a couple times, you know, like every other year or something like that. And, uh, as I've gotten older and reflected on writing and things, it words are how we shape things. Right. Yeah. And like the German language is so like precise. I mean, yeah, it is exactly like their society runs, yeah. right? Yeah. Like yeah. I was telling somebody the other day, they have the cops and they have a thing called the order police. The order police are the people that go around and make sure you don't jaywalk or your mm. dog's not. Those aren't cops. Those are, they have two kinds of cops. Well, it's like the ordnung or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. And like, uh, you look at the language and you go, well, yeah, that's, that makes sense. Yeah, it yeah. is. And then you, you, like, I've never been to the Mediterranean. Like, I don't, because all my friends say, like, nothing runs on time. Everything is, like... I, I, I studied in Spain when I was in college, and, yeah, that's definitely true to an extent. It's wonderful in its own way. I love studying. Yeah, but it's like the it's language, different. right? Like, the yeah. language has these sort of free-flowing yeah. things with yeah, it's, it. It's, um, it. It's it's very... It's at once very flowery and very earthy at yeah. the same time. Yeah, it's just... Like they're straddling all these different uh, 
uh, chairs, but they're you know doing it effortlessly. And yeah. you know, so you never know how much you're just like putting something on things, but like you look at the way the languages and things are shaped, and yeah. they shape. Like, does culture shape the language? Does language shape your culture? But whatever, what I say in English, if you translate it to German and Spanish, it's different. It's different, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it carries a different weight. It moves the air differently. Yeah, it, yeah. That's yeah, it's why good. there's no grand love poetry in German, because it's really hard to, yeah. like... Ich liebe dich, mein Frau. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's, like, yeah. it's every Mel Brooks movie ever, yeah. right? Yeah, like, totally. if you want to make something seem terrible, you yeah. put it in yeah. German. It in German. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. And if you want to scare the shit out of people, you put it in German. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. not going to do it in Italian. Yeah, Italian. yeah. That's not scaring anybody. Yeah, well, it depends on which Italian is speaking. It's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, totally. yeah. So you go to college, you're, do you know you want to be a writer at this point? Or yeah, oh, yeah, I, d- I definitely want to I definitely want to be a writer um so kind of the approach I took to well kind of the approach that I took to how I wanted to be a writer was that like I needed I told myself okay I need to read everything <laughs> you know um uh so I, I I needed to read like you know a, a bunch of yeah I just I just uh, that was kind of the approach uh that I took so I uh, so I was an English major I studied um you know, a, a lot. I took a lot of different literature courses. T- took a couple of theory courses, which were really fun. Um, and then, you know, w- with with my other language study, I mean, I I would, um, you know, I was studying German, and then I would try to read, you know, German poetry on my own, and I would study Spanish, and then try to, you know, do my own translation. I just got to jump in. When you're reading German poems, are you feel like you're reading the Vogons from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Oh, I never made that connection. I could see that. Like, every time I see yeah. the Bogans doing their poetry, I'm like, I feel like this is every German poet yeah. that I've ever... Uh, yeah, yeah, you definitely get that with uh, Heine and Goethe and stuff. Yeah. 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 So you're just reading... You don't really have... Are you writing a lot? Like, I'm writing are you, a lot. Yeah, I am. Uh, what, what are you writing? Fiction? The, well, actually, the... the I, I, kinda, I had kind of a weird um, tangent. I was... I, I mistook myself for a poet <laughs> for about a decade. Really? Like, starting from the time I was about 16, um, I started uh, writing poetry exclusively in terms of, like, my own, um, like, creative work on my own time. And I, and I kept writing poetry until I was, like, 20, 26, 27. You carried the emo all the way into oh, post-college. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I really did. So um, you weren't really writing fiction, weren't really... No, no like... um, the, um, I mean, I, I mean, like I said, I was writing, um, like, those fantasy stories when I was uh, 13, 14. Yeah. Um, and then I really didn't write fiction until I was, you know, kind of in my late twenties. After you know, going off into poetry land for you know. For so after years. college, like you, like it was after college you started writing fiction. Well, yeah, it was after college that I got back into writing fiction. Yeah, and um, although all th- like throughout that time when I was writing poetry, I was still reading a lot of fiction. Sure, it was still a really long, strong love of mine. But um, yeah, I just I just kind of got out of the habit for for a really long time. Looking back, yeah. And when did you get married? I, I was 27 when I got married. So you were. So what did you do for the intervening years after college to? Um, after college, writing poetry. I was married, <laughs> um, oh, I I, I could I kind of did like you know kind of the the you know knocking around town in my 20s mm-hmm. thing. Um, I worked at a bookstore for a while. Um, I live in a house with my friends. Um, I uh, to kind of continue like kind of my uh, interest in language and culture. I lived in a. I lived in Chile for a year mm-hmm. and uh, taught English as a second language. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're just living. Yeah, I was just living. You just kind of doing. Not really thinking about writing. Not really just sort yeah, of. Well, I, I always was thinking about 
writing. Yeah, I mean, I was always writing at the time, and I was always, you know. But, like, poetry, like, you weren't, like, I'm going to write a novel. Like, no, that wasn't. No, no, I, did, I didn't. No, I, no I, I wasn't thinking along those terms. You were existing a as a man of letters in yes. the world, yes. experiencing the planet. Yes. The yeah. way all writers should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Um, I mean, it's the the sort of re- I've had discussions with people that are, uh, teach college. I teach college, and I, I we all sort of have the same experience. Like you tell students in class, like I can't teach you to be a writer in a class. Yeah, you have to go experience the world. You have to be empathetic to the world and understand people that are different than you. Yeah, you have to, or you have to be like open and allow yourself to be understood and allow yourself to be misunderstood. Yeah, as well, yeah, but also not like if you see a thing, don't say, "Well, that must be what it is." Like you have to go learn what that thing is and yeah. like say, "Like maybe I don't understand the motivations that yeah. made you do a thing that maybe I think is the wrong thing to do." Yeah. Otherwise, you're gonna be a terrible writer. Yeah, you're just gonna write characters that are stock figures yeah that are just you know so how do i teach you to do that in class i can't yeah so sorry i i can give you some um here's the structure yeah <laughs> here's some tools which are, which are useful they're me. useful but only if you're empathetic and have been out of yeah. the world and like done stuff and then have something to say yeah yeah all the important shit i can't teach you in class yeah, yeah. you got to do that on your own. uh so when do you start the fiction about 20 uh i was like 27 28 when i started um just got married um yeah, like just got married, and I was um, actually like when I was um, I can kind of kind of credit like the idea of like maybe getting back in fiction to actually a specific um, Chilean writer. Um, when I was living in Chile, I was reading a lot of um, uh, Latin American literature, um, and, and there was one uh, guy named um, Roberto Bolaño. I don't know if you ever heard Mm-mm. of him. Um, he, he was born in Chile, um, moved to Mexico in his twenties. Um, and then kind of bounced around the world for the rest of his life, and then he died at the age of 50. Um, uh, um, but but he, he started out as a poet as well, um, did that for his 20s, and then later on um, uh, started writing a lot of fiction about poets and writers and stuff like that. And I got really, really into him. Um, I just, uh, I mean, like as, like, as someone who wrote Poetry, I, I I really strongly related to the way that he described poets and writers, and kind of like the way they lived and the way they thought. And um, kind of, kind of on the basis of reading his work, I started um, writing my own fiction about writers, about mm-hmm. um, uh, poets, and um, and it was really bad. It um, it, it wasn't any good. But I that um, uh, encountering Bolaño's work kind of allowed me a kind of like an on-ramp back onto fiction. Um, and, and, and it was like a, an, an on-ramp that, you know, began in poetry, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like he was, um, uh, it, it's been a while since I've uh, read him, like, you know, back there, in, uh, back in Chile. But when I was reading him in Chile, um, he just, uh, his his fiction about literature made a lot of sense to me about, I mean, he showed me a way of like, uh, of writing fiction about people who kind of, spend their lives, you know, with notebooks in their arms, you know, wandering the, around the libraries right. and, 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 and stuff like that. So well, I always carry my notebook yeah, around. Yeah. Like. <laughs> um, so his work made a lot of sense to me and kind of gave me um, a way back into, into writing fiction. So when you started writing, were you driven by something that you wanted to say? Or did you just have characters that started bouncing around in your head? Like, the desire to write is different than sitting down to write. Yeah, I... I the oh, when I started right like back when I was fiction younger, no no fiction like yeah so fiction. yeah so like you sort of have this desire again like what does that look like when you the 
I, I, I didn't have a strong idea of what I wanted to say. I didn't know I like it. I wouldn't say it was like characters um, or anything. Did it, was, it feel profound to you when you were like, oh, shit, I, I'm going to write fiction now? It, or was it just a thing that just you sort no, of it, did? It, it, it did feel like a shift. It, it did the it did feel like I was um, kind of like a kind of I, I kind of was admitting to myself that <laughs> I that I just wasn't a poet that like my that my brain just didn't really translate itself into poetry. Um, actually, this is something that, that I've, uh, I've um, I kind of been thinking about recently is that um, the, I mean, you're a writer, you know, that's like when you, when you first have um, an idea for, for something that you want to put down on, on, on paper in some form. Um, I mean, what is it? Is it an image? Is it an idea for me? Like that, that initial, stage of inspiration uh, the best way I can describe it is that it's like there's a shape within my mind that um, that can't ex- exist anywhere else but within the imagination mm-hmm. and what I want to do is I want to get down on paper almost like this this like instruction manual that will allow readers to con- to re- reconstruct that shape within their imaginations and so these ideas of shape and structure have always been really important to me they really speak to me and i think that's one reason why i gravitated towards uh poetry like when i wrote poetry i wrote very formal poetry like i was writing like sonnet sequences and um just i was like repurposing like you know greek meters and writing my own really really bad takes on it um like it wasn't the i mean you had the the cliche of like um uh the teenager you know getting down and you know writing journal entries and poetic form when it's just all feelings and i i mean i did that of course i did that um but as as i kept that poetry i um what i loved about poetry were the formal aspects of it did that mirror your education so like at the homeschool and then when you went to college like were you taught very formal structures for this stuff no like uh when it when it came to uh writing reading i was i was largely auto autodidactic i was largely self-taught i mean um so do you think maybe that you did that formal structure as a result of like looking for like why do you think you gravitated to that formal structure yeah, if that's the, not what you got? Because that's normally when you tell a kid like do whatever you want, they're not like I need classic yeah, structure. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that was that was that was an I was an unusual kid um, in that regard. Like I mean, when I first started listening to music, um, I listened to classical music. I didn't listen to um, rock. So rock. this was just a thing. It was just a thing. Yeah, I just I was just kind of like an like an odd kid who became an odd person who just who really responds to just uh structure and shape yeah. um and so like you know for, i mean for literally 10 years i tried to um uh like um write poetry uh in shapes and structures and um a- after a certain point it was getting so formal and so abstract that i was essentially writing math equations right like, like that's how abstract exactly um, how great poetry is meant to be yeah, precisely, yeah like, so, so strip all emotion yeah no i was, I was getting rid of all of it um so what's the fiction like is the fiction really classically structured or is that the, more the, the, the fiction has definitely gotten a lot uh loose has gotten a lot well uh, I still do think I use um, structure and shape a lot, but it's it's more like um, it, the, the structure is more like giving me a space in which to play and mess around mm-hmm. um, at the level of language, um, at the level of story and character. Like actually, when I read the kind of writing I do right now, I actually think like the prose style um, of my work, the, you know, the writing's pretty straightforward, maybe even workmanlike. Um, there's like I, I I'm not doing a lot of 
fancy rhetorical flourishes, which is not... I, I actually love fancy rhetorical flourishes. That's some of the writing I really respond to and like the most. But uh, for, for whatever reason, it's just not what I'm doing uh, right now. Um, a, a lot of my writing is sort of starting off with, like, you know, you know, setting these boundaries of, of a story and of shape, and then going in and just kind of, you know, bouncing around within them. Um, so yeah, like shape and structure has always been really important to me, but the, my relation to it has changed a lot, um, over the course of my life. And that's one of the things that like, what you just said, I get, you can never teach that in a classroom. Yeah. Right. Like no, you can make a shape in your head. Yeah. Now write the story of that. Yeah. Right. Which is, that's a that, summary of what you've said. That, that is what I do. Yeah. Um, I always, there's two things that kick mine off. I either, either have a, a title. Sometimes the title just comes and I can see the end. Yeah. Like when yeah. I say like, yeah, um, uh, I, I respond like, yeah, when I have a good title, I can say, oh, I, I have a sense of what. Here's the beats. Yeah. Here's the beats. I know the shape yeah. of that title. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is I'll see the movie. The movie goes in my head. Yeah. When I'm like, oh, I know what this story is, and I am trying desperately to write the movie down as fast as I can because yeah. it is playing in my head. Those are the least interesting things that I write because it's never as interesting as this. Like, people may like it. Mm-hmm. I don't really, I don't respond to what people like about my stuff or not because I'm like, ah, this is sort of like a, it's a dull shade of what it was yeah. in the movie. Yeah. When I know what the beats are, I actually like it more. I suspect people probably like that writing less because it is, I know what the end is. The mm. movie, I'm seeing the movie and the beats, yeah. I know what the beats are and yeah. I can get you to the beats because workmanlike, right? Like, yeah. cause I know how the, I know how the mechanism works Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I can make you cry because I know how to make you cry. Yeah. Not because that's a thing I want to do. It's just yeah. this is the point in the story where no, you should the, yeah. weep openly. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like so, the dog gets shot, and you're yeah. like, "Oh God!" Uh, so, what's the um, you, you're writing twenty seven, twenty eight? Like you you get back into the fiction, and what's the outcome? Like what's the, the um, I spent I spent about a like a probably about two years writing this. Um, uh, I wrote this story about like a writer who tries to. Oh, what was what was the character trying to do? He clearly a memorable story. Yeah, he was like <laughs> looking at like advertisements and finding this like code or structure that under you know that underlaid the whole world and stuff. Yeah, like that. it was really dumb. Sci fi. Yeah, it was, you started at sci fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> but yeah, so um, that was really bad. Um, but like I, the badness of it didn't really bother me. I, me- I remember when I started writing that book, I told myself, okay. I'm going to, like, relearn how to do fiction by writing this really bad novel. Yeah. And I was fine. That didn't bother me. Um, and you finish it, it? Yeah, I finished it. Um, sitting in a drawer somewhere. Yeah, sitting in a drawer. Yeah. Like, I mean, Never I, to be seen. You know, like, you know, that was... I, I mean, even even then, I knew that was the purpose yeah. of it. And then I got back and started, um, like, in earnest. I, I, um, I worked very hard at writing this novel about about Walmart, actually. Um, <laughs> I wrote a, I wrote a novel about a kid who dropped out of college... Um, to work at Walmart to kind of, you know, be among the people um, kind of thing. Um, and I finished that. Um, like, I, I did a bunch of research. I spent about four years working on it um, and then uh, sent it out to agents and, you know, didn't get any response um, from it. But, um, but it, it like, it, even when I was sending that out and sort of getting rejections, I, it felt it still felt like, oh, this is what, you know, this is what... Yeah. This is what I should do. I'm in it now. Yeah, I'm in it. Yeah. yeah. Like and, and I um I felt like really um committed and invested and yeah, like like just to just to fiction again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh 
So what do you want to do with it? Like, what do you do? Like, are you... I, I, I'm, I'm working on another novel. Um, I, 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 so you're just going to keep going? I'm just going to keep going. Just keep yeah, writing. I'm just going to keep writing until, like, I find... Until I hit on something that people will be interested in. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you yeah. really care? I mean, obviously, you want them to, but do you really care? Like, you're not going to stop writing if... Uh, if... if if I get the sense that people do like, say you there. say you write this and this one doesn't get picked up, like, are you like, well, I guess I'm not a writer. Oh no, no, I'll right. keep going. Yeah, I'll keep going. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'll keep going. Yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I don't know what would stop me from writing. You know, like I, I, I find do. Hard to, huh? <laughs> I do know. Yeah, well, like it's uh, uh, will you just write, right? Like, yeah. it's say, I don't care what people think about the stuff that I write. Yeah, it's nice if they have a reaction to it, but. My reaction has already happened during the process. Yeah, yeah. My joy, my anger, my satisfaction, my despair is over when the story's done. Yeah, yeah. Everything that happens after that is the product. Yeah, yeah, and um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm, the yeah, I'm perfectly willing to sort of stay with the process of it. it it's just, it just, you know, it, it makes sense for me, and it also like you know structures like my days and my life, and you know, um, how do you write around? A one-year-old and a three-year-old. Um, Baby well, Benadryl and naps a lot. Yeah, it, it, it used to be when the three-year-old was younger, she would, you know, nap every afternoon, and then I would have the afternoons and then the evenings. Um, but that, now she stopped napping. Um, and uh, but uh, yeah, I do write in the evenings. Uh-huh. Um, oh, sometimes I'll sometimes I'll go up to my parents for a long weekend, and mm-hmm. they'll look after the girls for you know for a Saturday while I go. Um, out and right, but yeah, the, the it's it, it's weird. The like since having uh, having kids, the uh, the the motivation to write has been stronger than it ever has been for me. Really? Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I I felt um, as committed to writing as I ever have been since becoming a father. Um, uh, but by the same time, I, I do have less time in which to do the actual writing. But like to be honest, I I mean. If it's if it's a choice between urgency and time, I'll take urgency. Um, like that, the like having the urgency and the the drive uh, to write to work, like that will carry me further than just having all the time in the world. Yeah. If I have all the time in the world, I'll probably just screw around or whatever. I will say, as someone who doesn't have two kids, that is exactly what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're uh, three years into Babylon 5. Like, yeah, that's when yeah, I'm like, exactly. hey, you should see this TV show that I've seen nine times. Yeah, yeah. Instead of writing, like, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, um... This episode's great. Yeah, so, I mean, the, I mean, like, the finding time is a struggle. I mean, I mean, obviously, but, sure. um... I mean, for whatever reason, the kind of the arrangement of like, um, like, uh, like, like urgency and, and drive from having a father, it from from being a father, I know it, it works for me. I, yeah. I feel like I'm kind of at, um, uh, just now hitting my stride in the last couple of years since my kids were born. So this is the thing that, so I can't write with my wife around because I feel guilty. Like my family's there, mm-hmm. and if I go in the other room and close the door, I feel like I'm being a horrible husband, mm-hmm. and so. I have to go away. For some reason, going away seems okay. Like, I'll go run a place for 10 yeah. days and not be around her. And I'm like, then I can write because you're not there and I don't feel bad. Do you have, as you're at home with the kids, like, doing stuff, do you have those moments where you're like, ah, I'm sort of over here and they're over here? I, I, I certainly I certainly do have some, but... You're with them so much. That I'm with them so much that um, that, uh, that, that I... 
to be honest, I don't have a whole lot of moments like that where I'm feeling. You get 30 minutes to write. You're like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, you're happy. You have 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, precisely. You know, I'm I'm perfectly happy um, to do that. And, and and sometimes now in my current situation, say if my younger daughter um, is napping, but if my older daughter is still awake, I'm perfectly happy with, you know, having you know having three year old watch Curious George on the TV while I do some typing on yeah. the computer. I and. And I, 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 I honestly do not feel any guilt um, about that. Um, and I think one reason why is is because um, I don't know. If my, I, I mean, I doubt my my daughter is aware of this, but at some level, I do. Th- I'd like to think that she is seeing her father um, fully commit himself to something, like to following the passion that he has. And I mean, I just have to think that, like. Seeing seeing me do that with my own life will rub off on her yeah. in some way. You know? Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. It's still it, for me. Like I just always feel like if I can see him, I should be doing something with him. Mm, if yeah. I don't, not I don't have kids, but like just with my wife or you know, like, um, it, we we've tried to like take cabin vacations together, and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I'll write during the day, and I'm like, well, we've come out here to the cabin, yeah. and now I'm like, go away, yeah. I can't, and then I can't write because then the whole day I'm just like I don't feel guilty about a lot of stuff, but that for whatever reason yeah. is the thing that yeah. fucks yeah. me up, and I can't no, do well, it. I mean, I mean, writing <laughs> uh, is such this is such a sensitive endeavor that you know the smallest things can yeah. Can and we're always looking it. for a reason not to yeah. write. Like yeah, yeah. oh, got to do the laundry. Yeah. Like yeah. can't write today. <laughs> like yeah. I guess that's over. Uh, well, okay, one more thing, and then uh, we'll go because the uh, are you doing a reading? I've, here? I've got to do a reading at yeah. four o'clock. So yeah, it's uh, so we got about fifteen minutes left yeah. before that starts. Um, so in five years, who are you as a writer? Like, what do you like? What's the goal? Like, five where years you, in the future? Yeah, like what um, are you? Like, well, the um, the novel I'm working on, um, I know it feels good. Well, actually, like I can kind of bring it back to the early stuff that we were talking about with like, you know, the fantasy and the Dungeons and Dragons. I'm writing a novel right now. Um, I can I can pitch it to you in five words. It's Dungeons and Dragons in Iraq okay. is, is the novel I'm uh, working on. Um, I'm, it's, it's a novel about um, soldiers in Iraq playing Dungeons and Dragons. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. Um, and, I wish uh, this was planned. This is totally not. No, no, yeah. no, not at all. Um, yeah. Uh, and that's, I mean, that, that's what it is. And it feels, um, this is game within a game, right? Game within a war. Uh, yeah. Like a game yeah. within a war story, within a story, um, kind of thing. And it feels, I know it feels good. It feels like the thing that it should, that I should be, uh, writing. And, and my hope is that like, you know, five years from now, like that book is you're on your world tour well, as the movie well, opens. No, <laughs> they're not going to make a movie. In. Um, but, uh, my, I mean, my hope is that, like that book is in readers hands and people are, um, you know, uh, digging it. And, um, I'm at work on, you know, on one, on, on the next thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's, you know, that's where I would like to be. Do you have a thing that you're sa- like, this feels like a thing that you want to say something and this is the vehicle to say it. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, yeah. it really does feel like that. This is not a shape. This is a, this comes from an idea. Yeah, it, the, the, um, yeah, I mean, one thing that, I mean, feeling one thing that surprised me about writing, writing this book is that it feels, it feels very, very different from the kind of thing I ever would have imagined writing. Um, uh, and kind of for that reason, like it keeps uh, surprising me. Um, but like, as, like, as I, you know, as I keep writing, as I keep surprising myself, I, I, I can kind of like see what, see what my 
obsessions and passions actually are rather than what I think they are. You know that? Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, as a writer, you, you go, you start writing in, in general and you can, you think, you know what your motivation is, but if you do it for long enough and you've, um, you'll find out that your motivation is actually quite different. And when you get to, when you get to that point, like what you're like, what you're actually trying to say and what you're actually obsessed with, um, that can be a, it, it can be very strange because it'll take you by surprise. Yeah. Um, and I feel like with this book I've gotten, I've reached that point where I'm, uh, I'm saying, Oh, this is, this is what I'm interested in. And this is what I'm want to say. I, I, I wouldn't have said that, you know, three or four um, yeah. years ago. So yeah. yeah. I, I went to see a psychologist for a while and uh, I walked into the office and I said, here's what's the problem. And I spent like two sessions, like this is the problem. This is the problem. This is the problem. And he, at the in the third session, he looked at me and he's like, "Yeah, that's not your problem." <laughs> yeah, he's like, "This is your problem." I'm like, "I didn't say anything about that." He's yeah. like, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. yeah." And I feel like that is writing in a nutshell. Like, this is what I'm saying. Like, it's yeah. not. It's not. Yeah, you have to get underneath the the stuff. Yeah, the, I mean, I mean, after a certain point, you just kind of have to give yourself over to. Yeah. to that obsession that you didn't think was your yeah. obsession to begin with. Yeah. Thank you for yeah, stopping by and chatting with us today. And uh, uh, good luck at the reading. Thank and uh, uh, we will talk to you later. Absolutely. So there you have it. That was my conversation with Adam. Great guy, heard it out for a little while. Um, but that's one of the great things about doing the show is that there are just so many interesting things that come up with people as they talk about how and why they create. Um, and, and I just love it. So you can find us on iTunes. If you'd like to hear more of these, you can sign up, get it delivered right to you. You can go to the downtown or uh, thegeekypress.com backslash podcast, and it will take you to our page. You can, if you're on Stitcher, you can find us there. Every other Monday, we release a new episode, so we're constantly putting these out. Uh, we primarily talk to people in the Midwest, but we are slowly expanding that reach. Um, but there's 22, 23 episodes, so there's plenty of time for you to go back and listen to everything. You can find out about the events and readings that we put on if you happen to be in the area or coming to town. We do everything from local readings to one-day riding retreats, and uh, we have a weekend riding retreat coming up in November. We have one slot left for that. We also have some merchandise, so if you just like cool shit to wear, or if you have a dog and want to have like a dog shirt that says the Geeky Press, you should totally do that. Um, and you can go to Amazon and find our book, Bad Jobs and Bullshit, and you should buy that. That's all we got for today. Till the next time, we will see you around. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. 
and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.